0: Welcome back to The Theology of the Buddy, a podcast for Catholics who love the beauty of the Church's sacred tradition. This is episode 82. My name is Chris, and I am joined today by my proselytizing Canadian co-hosts, Mike and Brooke. Before we begin, if you haven't yet, please make sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening, and please leave us a five-star review. We'd also really love for you to follow us on social media. You can find all of the links to connect with us at theologyofthebuddy.com. All right. So on today's episode, we are talking about a bit of our story. We're answering a question that was submitted to us a few weeks ago by our friend, Jen Van Awesome, who asked in particular, at what point did your faith become your own and not something inherited from your parents? So we're going to be diving into that question today. Uh, We're going to be talking with, in particular with Mike and find out what his story is, and we'll eventually get through all of the co-hosts, but we're going to start at least today with Mike's story. So before we begin, though, how are you guys doing? It's so good to see you.
1: Awesome. Great.
2: I made so much pie today. I made, I made six, seven chicken pot pies and six beef pies, and I made one big pumpkin pie and four small pumpkin pies, and I made some chicken noodle soup, and I made some curry. I'm great.
0: <laughs> our, our listeners might be wondering if maybe you're having one of those manic episodes that uh, people with bipolar have.
2: You know what? When I'm under stress, the first thing I do is like everything and anything I can get my hands on. And I a hundred percent think that this is a melancholic choleric problem. Like if I'm under any kind of stress, I clean things or I cook the heck out of my kitchen.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, it
2: benefits everybody if I'm having an existential crisis, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Brooke will be like, I'm stressed and someone better not invite me over for dinner. I'm going to have a meltdown. Oh, someone needs me to make 20 pies in the next hour. Can do. I'm all (laughs) over it. (laughs) That's just, that's just, that's just you. (laughs) That's no,
2: really. I'm great. I, Mike was really craving meat pies. And I was just like, I'm just going to make all these pies. And I'm just like, I have dough left over. I'm going to make some pumpkin pies. And then I was just like, oh, hello there, chicken bones from the roast chicken I made for the pies. I'm going to turn you into soup. (laughs) You should
1: should clarify all the meat pies were tiny, but
2: yeah, they were only like four inches.
1: (laughs) Remember how before the show (laughs) we were talking about how like it's easy to look at other people especially like other Catholics at land mass and be like, they have it all put together. I bet there are moms listening. that are like, wow, she made 20 pies. She has everything together. She's like the model. Perfect mom. She's the perfect wife. She knows how to do everything. And they're just so intimidated by you right now.
2: Oh, but it's don't be, I don't even think I remembered to put on deodorant today. Like. I forget to go to the bathroom. It's that bad. I'm just like, I'm just doing stuff. And I'm on like a little, little bit of a, like, I don't know, a coffee buzz or something like that. And I'm just like, zoom.
0: (laughs) Wow. Yeah. If I could, if I could have a little bit of that energy, I would definitely take it. Yeah. Like,
1: wow. Right. (laughs) How much would you pay to be a (laughs) choleric? Oh boy. Oh
2: man. <laughs> anyway, so that's how I am. Mike, how are you doing? I haven't even asked you yet today.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's also what happens when you're manically cooking everything. <laughs> <laughs> and today on KatherineCounselors.com. <laughs> yeah. Get Gregory yeah, Pop I in ate here. delicious curry today and I'm so happy. Also, I happen to be drinking beer.
2: That we made.
1: Yeah. It's a Belgian triple, which is the best beer. And uh, yeah, it will make you strong. And I'm pretty sure it has supernatural graces attached to it because it's an eminently Catholic beer. Mm -hmm. And it it has
0: like triple, right? So it has three. And there you go.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. If it doesn't make you strong, it will make you tired. Billy <laughs> Oakley, a beer made by Broken Mike. <laughs> yes, that's it. Chris, how you? Chris, how you doing?
0: Good, good. Uh, yeah, life's been pretty crazy, um, but uh, yeah, um, our daughter is home and uh, doing. Uh, had a, an appointment today, actually, and is doing really well. Um, so, yeah, thank you to everyone who may be listening who uh, who was praying for her uh that that means a lot. Um, but yeah, no, it's just it's just been a lot of work, and uh you know just kind of figuring out a a rhythm again because that's uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, that's <laughs> been a little tough, but you know we're we're figuring it out, so, yeah.
1: You made me think back to the uh, Canadianisms because you did a, but yeah, no, in there. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> yes. That is another Canadianism. Uh-huh. Yep.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you betcha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We saw little Therese today after her appointment and Julie said she's over 10 pounds now. Yeah. Yeah. She's doing great. Yeah.
0: So that's, that's great. I mean, she is, she is Eight months old. So, I mean, still tiny for an eight month old baby. But, you know, she was born at three pounds, four ounces. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: There is that. It's, it's good to see her growing now Mm -hmm. since she's had so much trouble with it.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, Yeah. Praise God that, you know, um, things worked out. Um, Yeah. I, I don't know if we even really told people, but on the podcast, I can't remember. But yeah, long story short, our daughter... Uh, who was born at 30 weeks, had a lot of trouble with feeding and growing. She wouldn't keep anything down, and she was just kind of being treated as a mystery. Uh, She was in NICU for 104 days, so it was quite a trying experience there. Um, But when we brought her home, she was still having trouble um, and ended ended up going back to the hospital, and they discovered that she had a hiatus hernia, um, and that a, a sixth of her stomach was herniated and had shifted into her chest cavity. Um, so it was a pretty significant, uh, defect. Uh, so, um, they ended up uh, doing surgery, repairing that hernia and in the process, finding out that she has a genetic defect as well, like a chromosomal defect. Um, and, uh, it's called champ one, which is, um, a really rare, <laughs> um, uh, really rare defect, only 125 cases in the known world right now. So, it's, uh, it's super rare. Uh, just like Therese, uh, the doctors had, had said that they had never seen a hiatus hernia in a baby before, um, at
2: yeah. the hospital.
0: So, I mean, she's all kinds of unique, um, and has <laughs> started out her life dealing with a lot of suffering. So, uh, apparently God chose her, um, to be his own because she came right out of the womb into a bed of suffering. Um, but um, like I said, she's doing a lot better now. And uh, yeah, now we're the ones who get to suffer. because <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's basically the, uh, she's basically only feeding or she's feeding on a, on a feeding tube, like a G tube um, every three hours. So it's like having a newborn for eight months. So it's uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> all kinds of yeah. oof, but God is getting
1: us through. So keep praying for Chris and Julie, guys, mm-hmm. <laughs> and for a little Therese. Thanks, yeah. and for John too. I mean, Who, Mike Mike him,
2: basically said she's a little princess the other day. I heard it. Oh yeah, and I was just like, Look at him doting on do to So cute. She's a little princess.
1: She's just adorable though. Yeah,
2: it was just so cute.
0: Yeah, it's actually it's actually wild. Like, um, we're part of a, a group on Facebook dedicated to those who who have Champ one, and you can have different forms of it. Like, the chromosomal defect can either be a deletion or a mutation. In the case of Therese, it's a, a deletion, um, but th- in the cases of mutation, um, it can it can create all kinds of deformities and such so looking at therese you know if you were just looking at her if you didn't know that she was eight months old uh you'd look at her and go what a beautiful normal looking baby you know you would have no idea Mm -hmm. that she had something going on um which is kind of a
1: cool grace um you know that she she looks like a perfect like one or two month old baby (laughs) (laughs) something like that yeah (laughs) Exactly
0: right. So, um, yeah, it's 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 wild, Um, and yeah, in terms of how it how it looks in the end, we'll we'll see. You know, um, it's all kind of in God's good hands in terms of how she grows and develops. You know, Um, we do our part, and the rest is up to God and Therese, and um, Mm -hmm. so. Um, you know, she's she's a bit behind in certain regards, but she's also doing well in other areas. So it's mm-hmm. um yeah, it's just it, she's just this beautifully unique little girl who God has a big mm-hmm. plan for and um yeah, I don't know what that looks like, but she's apparently uh taken on the carmelite spirit <laughs> of, <laughs> of redemptive suffering right from the get-go. So Anyway, yeah, God bless yeah. her.
1: She's a special child who needs special love because she's gonna be great. <laughs> I just love that quote. Sorry. It's totally out of nowhere. <laughs> Nobody understands where that's from.
2: I understand where it's I, from.
1: I understand where that's from.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, man. Okay. So um before we actually before we get into this, I just really want to read a quick thing. I'm going to read, um, just before we begin, I wanted to read one of the five-star reviews that was left for us on, it was left on Apple Podcasts, Um, so I just want to give a shout-out. I don't know if we've read this one before, but it's from Nautical Rabbit, and I thought we'd just give a quick shout-out to Nautical Rabbit, who says about our podcast. Quote, this is a great podcast. If you are interested in traditional Catholicism, love to laugh and want to feel like you are involved in a conversation among friends. My favorite episodes are in the liturgical breakdown category where they compare the TLM to the Novus Ordo and the divine liturgy of St. John Chrysostom. Also check out the anime episode and the episode on spiritual theology. So shout out to Nautical Rabbit and, uh, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts right now, uh, we'd love for you to leave us a five star review. Uh, so please, uh, if you can do that, even just say, "Hey, love this episode." We'd love to uh, love to hear it, and we'll share it on a future episode. Okay, so that's that. Thanks, Nautical uh, Rabbit. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So, talking about stories of uh, <laughs> of beginnings. You know, on the therese train let's let's talk about a little bit about mike's background and answer that question okay. from jen man awesome about at what point did your faith become your own and not something inherited
1: from your parents so
0: yeah mm-hmm. let's hear it buddy
1: there's a there's a sub bullet on our notes under this that says confirmation question mark was that part of her question or was that some one of us no i think i can start out by saying not confirmation
0: yeah i i don't Um, know this wasn't part of jen's question jen van awesome's question
1: okay all right well so um the three of us are all raised catholic and um, I uh, actually had a, a pretty good Catholic upbringing, I would say, in a lot of respects. Like I had a full, intact family. My um, There wasn't a lot of dysfunction going on. I, we were going to church every Sunday. Um, And going to, you know, government-funded Catholic school, as you do in Canada, if you're not a rad trad like us. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it was, I mean, obviously becoming a teenager that you either have to make your faith your own, or you kind of question everything. Right. And, um, I would say I didn't really, um, have a personal faith going into confirmation at all. Um, and I didn't really like do, I didn't really do a lot outside of going to mass on Sunday and anything we did at school, which was not much. I didn't like pray daily or anything other than grace before meals at home. Um, So that was kind of the weakness, right? Like I didn't have any prayer life and I didn't have any personal faith or relationship with God, even though I had all the sacraments and I'd been taught uh, roughly at least what the church teaches, um and i had been going to the mass um so i kind of uh, had that teenage crisis of faith and i was probably drifting into something like um potential deism and i was kind of at that point where my only prayer was like God are you actually real um, and thankfully I had enough good influences in my life to be able to make that prayer to be able to ask um, to ask God to kind of make himself real in my life and to show me whether he was there or not um, and that kind of... Um, I don't know what you'd call it. Turning point sign. Um, basically came when we had the, uh, um, net ministries life team group come to our Nova Sordo parish. And it's kind of funny, like looking back on the moment, um, today I would find it extremely cringeworthy back then. <laughs> I didn't know anything about, um, propriety in the liturgy I guess just you know growing up in with a ton of liturgical abuses every Sunday and Novus Ordo and not knowing any better I mean seeing a bunch of teenagers come up like and stand in front of the altar and like do a little skit it's so cheesy but at the same time I was just like these are people who have like the courage to go out there and Actually, talk about the faith. Um, and that was kind of my answer, right? It was like, okay, I'll listen to these people and I'll find out if God is actually real or not. Um, <laughs> and that was just the beginning of the journey where, you know, I started to actually um, find out about the teachings of the church and um, find the answers to all those little doubts and questions that you develop when you have that kind of um, foundation in the faith where you're kind of taught roughly and you're participating, but you don't have any, um, any roots really, like no intellectual rigor, no prayer life, no anything like that. So I had to develop both of those, right? Like they would get us into like praying and going to adoration and singing worship music and stuff like that. And for me, that was a radical increase in my prayer life from nothing to being able to go to to adoration and pray. And then like, um, Being able to talk to people about the questions of like, why does the church teach this? Is this really true? Um, So that process kind of happened over my, um, I would say, like grade 10, 11, like 15, 16, maybe 17 was kind of like that gradual ownership and becoming more convinced of the faith personally did you did you That's find that overbead. your
0: your your conversion so, so to speak was an intellectual conversion more so than kind of like a like a light bulb turned on like it was you know a lot of intellectual realization like oh this does make sense now you know
1: i would say it took it kind of had those the two tracks at the same time. Like there was the kind of building of an actual relationship with our Lord through prayer, which I had never had before. And also the resolving of all these intellectual doubts and stuff. These kind of happened hand in hand, right? But it, on both accounts, it was more of a gradual process. So there wasn't really a miraculous Eureka moment or anything like that. The closest thing was that moment where these teenagers showed up at the parish, and I remember thinking, I need to talk to these people and seek out the answers, because if God is actually real, I think he's telling me this is where I need to pursue to find the answers that I'm looking for. So, either I'll find nothing there or I will find God, right? So, that was kind of um, a turning point, but from there it was a journey, right? Do you, you, so I need
0: to kind of share my experience with meeting you. So, when I first encountered you, it was, I guess the net net team probably showed up October ish um at the parish. And then um and I met you in March, the following March. And like I think it was like a few, like maybe even April, May before I got involved in the music ministry and stuff. Um, and when I met you, my my reaction to you was this. This guy is serious. This guy is all in. This guy loves God, and um, you know, like yeah, he's his taste in music sucks, but I mean, like, <laughs> just
1: kidding. I love it. It did. It did.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. Um, uh. <laughs> wrecked. Uh, but it was there. There was that. At least my from my perception, I was like, this dude sold out for the Lord. And that was in March. Um, I didn't really get a sense that you were still questioning at that point. Were you like in a big way? Or was it kind of like at that point, do you think you were like pretty much sold?
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Because like my memory is notoriously bad. So I would never like if you asked me. What part of the year did I meet you? No idea. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, like, or, um, it was a it was a yeah, cold, it's cold interesting Sunday on, in,
0: in March. I remember it fondly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: I mean once you kind of get these questions answered and you Kind of think, yeah. This is this is good. This is something to do. Like, um, it's easy to become passionate too with like a thing like a net team where everyone's super uh, into it. So, um, I think um, yeah. Even if there were more internal questions, I think there would still. Like, I was kind of um, investing into that culture of, like, basically giving this my best shot kind of thing. And I think even, like, a lot of serious doubts and things like that were cleared up quickly in the first few months. And then it was more of a gradual process of, like, strengthening that kind of start right um and again i don't know what part of the year this is because i don't have that kind of memory but there's um another one of the the big turning points is um the night where they taught us about confession and i was like oh i haven't been to confession in like uh, several years um, cause like, you know, typical Novus Ordo kind of family, right? Like we all consider ourselves good Catholics. We have no idea that there's such a thing as a precept of the church <laughs> that we're supposed to go to confession every single year. Yeah. I don't think, like, I'm not trying to dunk on my parents because I love them <laughs> so very much, but I don't think they were aware of this kind of thing, right? That's just not in the culture of like your Novus Ordo parish. The priests are not saying, remember to get to confession during Lent or during Advent because you have to go every year. The church teaches that it's a grave sin not to.
2: No, no one was saying that to them. Right. To, to be fair, they have that like two or three days of the year where it's like, all right, we're going to do confession on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Come on out. It's like, nobody go. Like, right. if you miss it, you miss it. And then they think, oh, I'll just catch the next year.
1: Yeah. And they have, if they preach about that day, they have an excessive emphasis on the positive, right? It's Just like, oh, it's such a nice, good thing to do but no one would want to be so harsh as to say it would be a mortal sin not to go to confession for an entire year. Um, (laughs) No one would want to be so harsh as to preach about hell or anything like that. But anyway, this is just the culture of the Catholicism in which I was brought up. Um, So, and I mean, as a teenager, I was also involved in some serious sinful stuff, right? So I I had a lot to bring to confession that first time after going for several years, right? Not going for several years. So that was a huge turning point too, right? Like, I feel like after making the commitment to be like, I'm going to confess all these things that the church says is wrong that I've been doing, and I'm actually going to try to stop doing all these things. That's at that point, you could say that I was bought into Catholicism, right? I was actually like, I believed it. I was going to try to be a good Catholic, right? <laughs> um, so maybe that was within the months between before I met you. Oh, yes. I don't remember you being there then. No,
0: no, I don't remember that night at all. So. Yeah. Now let's let's quickly hop into your college years, university years, Um, Mm -hmm. because I think, at least from my experience, again, right, outsider looking in, um, there was obviously this move. You you kind of mentioned that experience of you know life team and the net team being there and the the hype that was surrounded uh, that surrounded this group. And we know for a fact that there was a large, it was a decently large youth group for, you know, the diocese of London at that time. Um, and there were only really a select few of us that remained, remained grounded in the faith after that net team left. Sadly, sadly, that was just the case mm-hmm. um, But you know in college in university for you, um, there w- there w- was there a um, I'm trying to think of the word. Um, was there a support there for you that kind of kept things going that kind of pushed you even further? Um, in the faith, post life team,
1: yeah, definitely. Um, there were definitely some key figures um, there as influences, and later on, there was a community that I found um, in the Roser group in Elmira. The first year, I remember going to daily mass and this is university of waterloo campus and the masses they have on that campus are ultra weird (laughs) um that's a charitable way of putting it i remember sometimes going to daily mass and um i mean they have this they have the whole like At communion time, everyone come up into the sanctuary and stand around kind of thing. Mm. It was super weird. I remember going to their Sunday mass. This is St. Jerome's, which is allegedly a Catholic college on Waterloo campus. I remember a priest there preaching about how miracles aren't real. Um, It's like a really... Sorry, were you going to say
0: something, Chris? No, I was just going to say cringe.
1: Yeah, super cringe. Even I remember trying to talk to that priest after mass and give some like little suggestion of like, hey, that's like not right at all. Why did you say that? (laughs) And he just kind of laughed it off. And I was like, "Uh, this is so awkward. I'm going to (laughs) leave. Um, But uh So everything basically on Waterloo campus is like, was a huge bust in the beginning. Even like I was not trad at this point by any means. I was like a life teen kid, but going to this mass, it was like peak cringe, non-Catholic boomer mass type material. Even I could tell this is heresy and, I, like, I can't take it. Um, (laughs) It it was so bad. So luckily we have a sister kind of university. Actually, it's not a sister university, but it's like a different one that's next door. It's really weird in Waterloo, Ontario. um, There's Laurier University. And I I don't know why the city developed two universities that are like a block apart that are actually (laughs) not related to each other. But anyway, um, I had some connections there, like my best friend growing up went there. um, And um, the local parish, St. Michael's was across the street from that school. Um, So I went over there, I heard they had um, adoration, I think, I'm pretty sure that's where I ended up going over there and got hooked up with that group. Laurier at the time had an amazing chaplain and I'll give her a shout out, her name's Anya Krischuk and she's great. Um, And she was the one who provided some semblance of Catholicism for the students at those two universities by bringing a priest from downtown onto campus to do adoration and confession once a week, things were pretty cringe aside from that. And just to illustrate how bad things were, in order to do adoration and confession, we had to rent the um, Anglican chapel, even though there was a Catholic church across the street. The priest there didn't want us having adoration because... He was more into like yoga and stuff um, <laughs> um, that's not even a joke he, literally, he literally was into yoga um, what the yeah a joke <laughs> <laughs> i mean it is a joke, but it's a joke because it's reality and truth is stranger than fiction yeah um, <laughs> I'm yeah kidding. anyway, that's how I got connected to the um more faithful side of Novus Ordo Catholics in Kitchener Waterloo at the time, and started going to a weekly rosary group and going to adoration and having regular confession and stuff like that. Cool.
0: Again, a piece, you know, talking about my side of things because it was it was really cool at the time because. You and I still remained friends through throughout this process, right? We had we had been in a couple bands, you know, following and just remained remained buddies, remained friends throughout, and would hang out with each other. And like I'd drive up to Waterloo and hang out with you and stuff, and you'd come back and hang mm-hmm. out with me. But like I really felt like for me in that time that friendship with you was so key because like you and I would be bouncing questions off each other all the time or like making comments about things, sharing things that we were learning and like just riffing on each other. And like there was that open communication too, um, which made it really Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. It was just really important for me at that time too, because Uh, You know, and I'll share my story later on, but like there was a point where my faith took a hit and, um, and I needed people like you in my life to encourage me to keep going and to keep seeking and to, you know, forgive and to move on and grow. But I mean, I think there was just, there's such that necessity for friendship in. Yeah, you know, um like I look at our friends that that left the faith and there's always one key element that is missing in their lives and it's they didn't have good and holy friendships. They didn't remain connected to the faithful. They just kind of went solo. And slowly (laughs) drifted out to sea, and you know, um, now it's really difficult to get them back. I don't know. Like, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, although we weren't seeing each other all the time, we were always in in contact over this time, right? And uh, yeah, it was a really important friendship. Um, I remember like you asking me about all kinds of different things and yeah, it's, it's mutually important to have that support and good friendship from someone who knows where you come from and stuff like that. I remember too, you, um, was that when you were on net when I was in Waterloo or was that earlier than that?
0: I was on um, net. I think when you were in grade
1: 12. Oh, okay. Yep. No. So it wasn't there in that time,
0: but I was at Franciscan. But that
1: was, Maybe. but that was also like kind of a similar vibe, I guess. Right. Cause <laughs> you're at a, a far distance in Ottawa. So for a long time, like we had kind of a, uh, long distance friendship. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: Really? That's I mean, on it's MSN and stuff all the time. <laughs> yep. <laughs>
0: And then it, and then it and then it grew into uh over Xbox chat you know Xbox 360 oh yeah chat, you know it, yeah. I, I mean and, and I think maybe that's another side comment we can make too I think it's really important to have Catholic friends but if all you can talk about is the faith like get a hobby um like and and I think <laughs> Like that's kind of been our experience. Like you and I can have talked about music for, you know, 15 years. Um, And Mm -hmm. we had similar love in video games back then. And, uh, and I'm still whooped by you every single time we play Halo. It doesn't change. Um, But I mean, you know, now we can, you know, play Tabletop RPGs and uh, mm-hmm. watch cool movies or or whatever, um, and talk about that stuff too. And talk about parenting now, which is yep, such a, <laughs> such a stupid hobby.
1: We're so um, old.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but, yeah.
0: yeah. So no, That's I, I think it, I think it's just so important. Like it was so necessary for me to have that friendship and to remain locked in. Um, mm-hmm. cause it's really an anchor, man, like, especially when you start going down the rabbit hole of doubt and, you know, yeah. and desolation and all of that. And your
1: yeah. The other thing I'll say about these college years on a different tack is you can see the seeds of how I was forced to eventually become trad because of the influence of all these flaming liberals in the church. Right. I mean, I've talked in the past about how at our um, our life team parish, one of those seeds was planted by the fact that um, the church had to st- tell us to stop standing up around the altar every mass. And uh, how I remember thinking, like, shouldn't father have known that we're not allowed to do this? And why didn't he tell us we're not supposed to do that? and uh that kind of was a uh like another awkward moment uh when you go off to college you go to mass at the chapel on campus and they're doing the same thing like uh can we have some consistency here guys like it's not that hard to to figure out how to say mass respectfully um And then, yeah, I mean, crank it up to 11 when you find out that the parish across from the university, that priest is more interested in, like, setting up yoga and stuff like that than letting us do adoration in the church and, like, you know, won't let the um, campus minister into his church because she's, like, doing Catholic stuff. Just like I mean, I feel like for a certain time I was in that bubble where like it's just the priests all know what they're talking about. And um there's nothing wrong in the church and everything's fine. Um and then but you start to see things that are on fire and then you think, hey, doesn't this diocese have a, a bishop that should do something if like, the priest is more interested in yoga than saving the souls of these students? And you find out this priest is like the bishop's best friend, and uh, it, then you start to realize there's something terribly wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And and I think this is something that I've said in previous episodes. But the thing that drew me to the faith initially, and the thing that still draws me to the faith, as um, part in particular, the traditional um, faith is the ability to question why. Like there is in in an essence, like in this kind of more modern you know Vatican II whatever you want to call it you know post conciliar church that's a because i said so because the council said so appeals to authority to ultramontanist you know stuff and it's like that's never been the catholic way of doing things um you know there is obviously you know dogma and stuff that we believe in, um, and we're called to have you know uh, uh, assent to. But like in terms of other things, having that ability just to question and to to discuss and discuss openly and be willing to have the conversation without beating each other up. I mean, Catholic Twitter aside, the the reality is that the church is has been like this for 2000 years. Look at the councils, look at, you know, look at the way that they worked through these different heresies and came to a fuller, you know, expression of of the true faith. Like yeah, just that ability to to question still just I mean brings me brings me back to the faith every time. Um yeah. And and it's unfortunate, like that. Sometimes the question "why" is because you're being scandalized by the lack of faith, the lack of supernatural faith, um, of priests, prelates, whatever, in the church.
1: Yeah, this was something that was really important in those, especially in those college days, when like I wanted to dig deeper into things, and when they. you know, I was starting to notice some of the dumpster fires, like good um, Catholic influences, encouraging me with the idea that like you can question and you can honestly look into things and do your research, and um, the faith is going to have an answer. The church has faced so many questions and heresies and things in the past. I mean, it's kind of like that thing with the new atheists, right? Like every argument they come up with, Thomas Aquinas has answered like (laughs) 700 years ago. Yeah,
0: Yeah, three times over.
1: Yeah, but it was kind of the same with, you know, my average question or thing I wanted to look deeper into as a college student, right? Like, the saints and the doctors of the church and the councils have dug into this topic before me. I'm not coming up with anything original.
0: Yeah, Unfortunately, you're not special when it comes to this stuff. You're just not. And like there it's, it's, I think it's a tactic of the devil to make people think that they are unique in their questioning uh, to make them, just kind of puff up with pride. And it's like, you know, every time you turn to the church, she has an answer. You have to look, you have to do your research, but she has the answer somewhere. You know, whether it's in the fathers, whether it's, you know, in the catechisms, you know, it's there. Yeah. Amazing. So I guess let's just quickly cap it off. Where is your faith today? Like what, where do you stand on, I don't know, how, how would you describe where you're at today in your
1: faith? Uh, Today? Well, I'm here to announce that I'm now a Hindu. Uh, No, actually. (laughs) um, (laughs) (laughs) So um, now, uh, so trying to be a glad trad and trying to learn how to pray. That's still the journey. Like this year is, has so far been about learning how to pray for me. I've been going through a couple of books about mental prayer and trying to figure out how to make it a part of my life Now it's like (sighs) doubts and stuff like that are not really a big part. Now it's like a enduring the weirdness and persecution of being a traditional Catholic today and then trying to deepen my prayer life and actually, actually move further into, uh, that relationship with our Lord and not kind of get stuck in just going through the motions. That's kind of where the battle is today for me. Awesome.
0: Praise God, man. Like it's, it's awesome. It's a, it's been an honor just saying it's an honor to, to know you and to see what God has done since (laughs) since we were teenagers. I mean, it's long, long gone are the days of, you know, Lincoln Park stickers on our electric guitars and screaming doing doing Screamo in the basement of your parents' house and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Long gone are the days. I still have bad taste in music though. (laughs) I found out, okay, here's just to scandalize people with a thing that happened recently. So my album of the year, I had Era in there. And just like a couple weeks ago. They came out with a new song, and I was just like, I'll check it out.
2: Yeah, I heard it first, and I was just like, "Uh, Mike, I'm just saying, Aaron dropped this song, and it's like super sketchy, like really sketchy.
1: So they did a cover of a Nine Inch Nails song, and I was reading this, the lyrics, and I was like, wait, I know this song from high school. This is the one that like all the high school atheists were into, because it's just like all... Blasphemy and uh, stuff—it's horrendous. I was just like, "How can you guys do this to me?" After I loved your last album, (laughs) you jerks. (sighs) Uh, So now I'm afraid if someone listens to that podcast and they're like, "I'll check out this band," there's like this horrendously blasphemous (laughs) song they just put out. Uh, 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 This is why I I should never recommend a secular band. uh, To be what they're going to do to me.
2: To be fair, though, even August Burns Red did a cover of that System of a Down song. I hate that song. Chop Suey. True. Yeah. Yeah, Chop Chop Suey. And I listened to that song in high school. So you know what? It's the the equivalent. Okay.
1: Yeah. But everyone makes mistakes. It's worse for August Burns Red. I think if I remember the quote from Chris, it was. Protestants don't have the virtue of religion anyway. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Ah. But, like, I mean, August Burns Red was at one point a Christian band, and like half the band is apostatized already. Yeah. Um, so So. They're not really a Christian band, although I think some of the members would still say they are. But the fact that they like, cover this kind of blasphemous song was really disappointing. Oh, yeah. I was mad. I was mad. I hate it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, you got to do this to us us guys, you know, but that's it. But again, it's, it's kind of interesting. We were just random side note. We were talking about this a little bit with, with Tim before about kind of like the implosion of Protestants right now and their faith. There is so much deconstruction quote unquote going on. Um, You've got people like, you know, Audrey Assad from the Catholic side, but you got like Derek Webb and like, the dudes for memory and like all, like just it's everywhere, it's everywhere, mm-hmm. and um, you know it's when you don't have that firm grounding in the faith in like the intellectual rigor, like you were talking about, like when you don't actually have like that plus the 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 sacramental grace, you know, like you doomed. You're doomed. Either you're going to become a house, a
2: house built on sand, on sand just cannot survive.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and we're in a cultural hurricane right now. Yeah, just a cultural storm against the faith. The attacks keep stepping up every year, every month. Yeah, <laughs> just more and more. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's unfortunate, but again, it's there is so much importance to having that that grounding especially if you're like in a good place in your faith right now and things are easy you know like this is the time when you just jam pack your life full of the truth you know with you know catechetically good stuff because there will come a time when it's going to get difficult and there will be doubt and there will be, you know, darkness and confusion and struggle and all of that. And, uh, you know, like you need to be able to go back to that stuff and be able to ask why and, and have a, an intellectually good answer. Um, mm-hmm. because yeah, it does get tough, you know? Um, and, and, especially as you go deeper in the interior life, the spiritual warfare, everything like that ramps up and it gets even more nuanced and, and the attacks become even more insidious. Um, and like, yeah, you gotta be ready. So what was, what's that? What's that term? Joan up as, uh, as they say, Brooke.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I see I see what you did there.
1: <laughs> Joan up.
2: No. Jeune. Joan up.
1: Joan up.
2: Like, yeah, like Saint Joan of, Joan of Arc. Joan Up.
1: Yeah, I was trying to say it French. Like Jeanne je- d'Arc. Jeanne. Jeanne.
2: Jeanne.
1: Oh. What are you Canadian or something?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Fine. no.
1: <laughs> Fine, hey, forget us. No, I said yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> All right, you guys. Well, Mike, thanks Thanks for sharing your story, buddy. That was great.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, Mike, like, Mike, I don't know. My story's so boring. 20 years later.
1: <laughs> Goes on for a whole episode.
2: Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Open mic with Mike, Mike. Okay. <laughs> Mike. Okay.
0: Open mic, Mike, 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 Mike.
1: Drinking.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's a
1: rhetorical question because we have but,
2: yeah one beer shared okay uh, one yeah beer, so one was it way to me
1: pardon I think we are already done an episode we are to
0: done. be honest this is done okay we are tapping out so um yeah. mike already got the got the vibe that I was <laughs> switching into outro mode um
2: oh sorry <laughs> i wasn't sure <laughs> but
0: We'll do we'll we'll we're gonna get into your story next week, Brooke. Don't you even worry about it.
2: Mine is mine is so different. <laughs>
1: but that's yeah. good.
2: Probably way more disappointing.
1: All, all four of the stories are gonna be way different, I feel violently
2: yeah. different.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, but God God works in the soul of each person differently. And you know, and that's what makes the faith beautiful because we're not all the same, you know. Like, like you should know uh, what Saint Therese says, right? About the flowers, you know. Like, not everybody mm-hmm. can be a rose, and so, um, you know, I feel like I'm a Venus flytrap. But hey,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm a corpse flower. You know, the corpse flower it takes like a million years to bloom, and then when it does, it smells really bad. <laughs> Look it up; it's a yeah. thing.
0: There's there's also that that flower in uh dennis the menace you remember that movie
2: i
1: don't remember (laughs) i don't remember we're like i'll look it up
0: mr wilson has this flower that he's been you know cultivating for you know years and years and years and it's like the one day the one day that it's going to bloom and then dennis the menace ruins it um (laughs) yeah and like he has like like the the press is there ready to take pictures, and like he has this huge garden party, and like everybody's there, and Dennis ruins the whole thing and anyway, if you haven't seen Dennis the Menace, it's a great movie um, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, all right guys. well, thank you everybody for listening to today's podcast. We'd love to know your story about how God has worked in your life. So please let us know your thoughts, visit us at on social media, you can find us at uh, Stay Traddy on Twitter um, or at Theology of the Buddy everywhere else. And also, please, we'd love for you to subscribe. You can uh, subscribe to us on all of the major podcast platforms. And yeah, our next episode will be coming out in two weeks. So make sure you're subscribed so you know when it comes out. And until then,
2: stay, stay Traddy.